welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. Glad that we've gathered here today to worship. Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in our series, and the series, uh, if you haven't been here, is called Portrait. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're seeing that the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus painting a portrait of what a true follower of Jesus is. We're going to see today that a true follower of Jesus is one who tells the truth. Amen? Amen. Who tells the truth. But you might have learned over the course of your life that sometimes the truth hurts, right? So the title of the message this morning is that the truth hurts. I was doing some um, research just by talking to people here and there throughout the week, and I found that most of us, the people who I talked to, whether they were Christians or not, tend to think we are pretty honest people. Pretty honest people. In fact, if I asked you, maybe show of hands, if you would say, um, you, you tell me when I've described you with this sentence, okay? Uh, raise your hand if you would say, I am a liar. All right, we got about five, six people. Raise your hand if you would say, I'm an honest person. Got about everybody. Now, some of the people raised their hands when I said, I'm a liar, and when I said, I'm an honest person. And I think that is the tension people felt when I asked them the question this week, tell me some times that you've lied recently. We don't want to call ourselves liars, but we know that even though we're honest people, there are times when we, when we lie, right? Or even when we are deceptive. Um, let's read this scripture, and then we're going to jump into what it is that Jesus is trying to show us about followers of Jesus um, through this passage. And, and be remembering always as we're preaching that this two or three verse passage exists inside of the greater story of the Sermon on the Mount, and that's inside of the greater story of the book of Matthew, and then the New Testament, and the whole Bible. So remember, we're not just like picking and choosing. We're just going along with Jesus' sermon. Um, check that out this week if you have, if you want to set aside 20 or 30 minutes to read the Sermon on the Mount so you re- keep reminding yourself of that entire picture. But here's what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old. Now, this is the third time he has said that now. You have heard it was said, but I say to you. That's his rhythm. He says it again. You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And then he continues. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would inspire us to lay down the baggage that we came into this room with, the places that we are um, being dishonest or deceptive in our lives, that we would lay down the places that we are 
um, failing to trust you, like the songs that we just sang, I pray that those have opened up the door of our heart so that now as we look into your word, you can pierce us with such mercy and grace and show us your truth. And I pray that we would align ourselves with you, that you would be at the center of what we're doing. Speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. What are some common lies that you say or hear on a regular basis? Think about that for a second. What are some common lies that you hear or, since you don't say them, you know, you're just hearing these lies. You don't, your friends lie like this. Here's some that I thought of that come out of my mouth sometimes. What about, I'll be home by five. Five fifteen, five thirty, six o'clock. You would never classify that a lie, right? <laughs> That's a lie. Um, I would never miss your event, whatever that event is. I'll make it to your party. Oh, if you do that, I'll be there. You ever said that and then not not showed up? You can't make it, right? We're going to talk about that, that idea. I can't make it uh, a little bit later. What about this one? I'll see you at 10 for brunch. Morning of. Had a late night. I'll see you at 11. <laughs> Train's running late. I'll see you at 11.30. <laughs> we don't really think about that as a lie, right? But what about this? I'll be, this one's a little, hits a little more closely to home, but what about, I'll be there to visit you when you're sick. It may not be something that you've said out loud, but it's a, it's a thing that you have with friends, like, I'll be there for you. I'm there for you. You can play the game when we get home. <laughs> My son's raising his hand. Heard that one before. You can watch TV when we get home. You can see the movie when we get home. And then what happens? Something, right? We use it as leverage over them to get them to behave. That one, watch out, parents. That one will get you. Um, and then what about this one? This one's a very commonly said phrase. This is one of the times that we'll see um, this morning that uh, oaths, we believe, are still allowed by Jesus. This isn't him saying you can never promise anything, right? Even though it sounds like that's what he's saying. What about this one? Till death do we part. Mm. Anyone ever been stung by that phrase before? Parted before death? That was a promise. That was an oath that we took. You see, obviously some of these are a little more serious than others. But today, I think that we can see that Jesus is reminding us of the power of our words and the importance of integrity in our speech as people who claim to be followers of Jesus. No matter the seriousness, right? So it is clear to us that saying to someone, till death do we part, has a different weight or importance on it than, you know, I'll be there in 10 minutes. But what Jesus is getting at, I think, to the Pharisees here, is that while there is different weights to those two promises or those two declarations, what Jesus wants his people to be is so passionate about the truth that they are willing to go to far lengths to make sure that neither one of those truths are compromised. Even though they weigh different 
they have different weights, that the people of God are those who carry both of those weights as if they are of utmost importance. That we become people who are passionate about the truth because we understand that there's importance in our integrity. And we'll see there's a lot of reasons why there's importance from the word of God. But as we continue from uh, the previous weeks, remember that Jesus has moved us from the Beatitudes where he's uh, teaching us about who we are. He's building us up. He's not saying try to be this. He's saying you are this when you follow me. And he's moved uh, moved us to seeing beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law. Remember that? Great from last week especially. Um, So Danny preached a a few weeks ago from beyond murder into anger. Last week, beyond adultery into lust. We're seeing beyond today, beyond oaths and promises and swearing about things, into truth-telling. We're trying to look beyond the letter of the law into the spirit of the law and see what Jesus actually means. Um, And when we face a teaching that is difficult, like this one that I believe today is for us, not difficult in the same way that the one about lust was last week, because that one runs so deep. And as we talked about that issue of slavery, right? When we are... um, when we have um, lustful thoughts after others that we're actually enslaving them, there's so much, there's so much um, power in that depravity, right? So it's a, it's a different type of importance today, but it's still a difficult teaching. And I think it's because when we face things like this, we tend to just dumb them down. For example, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, we want to try to manage that easily. So we say, well, who is my neighbor? Oh, uh, my neighbor is just the people next to me, right? Well, but, I, but that guy's a jerk, so it's not really him. Just this one over here next to me. I'm going to love him. We just try to dumb it down and make it easy for us to grasp. So then we end up loving only a certain type of people, and Jesus exposed that uh, multiple times throughout Scripture. But another way that we could do that is, um, you know, the last few weeks, we, we dumb down, oh, do not murder. Well, I've never murdered. And Jesus says, yeah, but the heart of this is actually the anger that you feel toward others that you don't ever exert physically, but you're harboring it in your soul and it's damaging you. If you missed that week, go back and listen to Danny's sermon online and hear how he showed us that it's not about whether or not you have physically murdered someone. It's about the damage that it does to your soul when you feel that anger toward others and that hatred. And so how have we dumbed down this way, right? In, in this way, the sin becomes mundane to us. It goes unnoticed altogether even at times. So then if it's going unnoticed, if sin in our life is going unnoticed, then we're not repenting of it. We're not confessing it to God. And if that happens, then we become ignorant to its existence in our life. If we're not confessing sin, then, then we don't even really know it's there or we've just completely ignored it altogether. Um, and... Uh, I was reading this week for the sermon and I came across a a quote from David Platt in one of his books and he says, um, he's a pastor, he says, we adjust to sin because it's common to us instead of rejecting sin because it's repulsive to God. That's this idea that Jesus is getting at. I think at the end of the day, he's saying to the Pharisees, you've adjusted to these things because they've become common to you. You've commonly been so angry with people, you just didn't murder them. So instead of understanding that that anger in you repulses me, you've just adjusted to that and found a way to maneuver around that sin without feeling bad about yourself, without having it cause you guilt or shame. Um, But why do we do this with something as damaging as lying? 
That's the question we have today. And maybe it's because we've begun to only look at the law of God regarding our speech like the Pharisees had. Maybe we only focused on, we only focus on swearing in God's name. Is that one of the things that you've done? You've said, yeah, I, I may be deceptive sometimes, but I don't use the Lord's name in vain. Or I don't swear on God's name. Or you guys have heard that some of these things seem a little outdated, but let me give you one that you will definitely understand. I swear on my mother's grave. You've heard that before, right? What do people mean by that? Okay, I looked it up because obviously I've heard this phrase like you have forever, and I get it. I know what they mean. They mean they promise. But why go to the lengths of saying you swear on your mother's grave? The idea is this, that I promise you so much that I will, let's say you said um, someone, you say I'm going to be there at noon, and they say I need you there at noon, and you say I swear on my mother's grave I will be there at noon, okay? Let's say you said that. Here's what you mean. If I am there at 12.05, I bring dishonor to the afterlife experience of my mother forever. You are saying that you condemn your mother's afterlife experience because of your not following up on that word. You are taking an oath on her, you know, rest in peace. You are saying she will not rest in peace if I'm not there at noon. Think about that. (laughs) this is what these phrases that we say mean you get that right when jesus says don't swear by jerusalem you're thinking well all right deal i will not swear by jerusalem (laughs) but this is what he means he means not swearing on things that you cannot control and we'll get to that like i said a little bit later but jesus is concerned about anything we use as a guarantee of our word and this is why he's concerned about anything we use as a guarantee of our word and here's why because he is the one that is over all and has the final say on these things, not you. I have no right to swear on my mother's grave because I have no control over my mother's afterlife experience. Completely out of my control, so I have no right to swear on it. He said uh, in 34 and 35, let's break this down just a little bit. Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, Here's one of the ways they would do that. Okay, so the Pharisees, remember, they were very good at finding the loopholes like you hear our politicians do these days. They were trying to find loopholes, so here's what they did. The, the word of God said, do not swear by the name of God. So they would swear instead by heaven. Instead of swearing by, the, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sinning, I'm swearing by heaven. But what Jesus is trying to teach them is, you don't control heaven. Listen. For it is the throne of God. And then he says, okay, I'll swear by just the earth, right? The things that I walk on. So, so the Pharisees would swear by the earth. And he says, you don't control the earth, for it is my footstool. The earth seems such a big place to us, right? We could fly for 24 hours and not even circumnavigate the world. And Jesus said, or God says here, Jesus says here about God that he's just sitting um, on his throne, which is heaven, with his foot on the earth. That's the image he gives us. I control this, right? Have you ever sat with the ottoman underneath your feet? You can move it forward. You can tip it over, right? You can, you can manipulate it. Why? Because your feet are on it. You're in control of it. That's what God is like over the earth. Uh, thankfully, for, thankfully, Jesus came, and God does not use it as his, like, stomping grounds, right? That's a good grace that Jesus has given us. Um, he doesn't neglect the footstool. 
So then, then finally they say, okay, fine, I'll, I can swear by the city of Jerusalem, right? Man builds cities after all. This is our place. We'll swear by that. And Jesus says, no, no, no. <laughs> Jerusalem is the city of the great king. It's my city. I'm in charge of the city. So the reason he breaks these down is to show us there is nothing that you can swear by that you actually have control over. Therefore, let your yes be yes and your no be no. To swear on something is foolish because you don't control it. I, we teach this to our kids, and, I, and after having started teaching it to them so much, I tried to start learning it myself because it's a great lesson. You ready for this? It's really simple. Do you know who you can control in this world? Micah, who? You control you. That's it. You know that the Holy Spirit teaches us this, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and last one, self-control. You see, to be controlled, to be in control over oneself is to be in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit enables you to control yourself. You can't swear on other things because part of the the first lesson in learning how to have self-control is realizing that you control nothing else besides yourself. You're the only thing you control. And to think otherwise will always end in foolishness or neglect or abuse or even slavery like we talked about last week. So ultimately, what Jesus is calling us to is a passionate recentering of our talk, of our speech. Doesn't that sound like something that could benefit your soul? A passionate recentering of the way that you speak. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It will bring him glory. And, it's, and we do this, we have this passionate recentering because we are reflecting this new perspective that we have now of being in his family. You see, in the family of God, Jesus calls you a friend. Jesus calls you a friend, and he says you are a fellow heir with him in Christ Jesus. In other words, he gives you this sense of control. A fellow heir has some sort of control over the father's belongings. In this new family, we have a new perspective. It's kind of like this. Um, in my family, growing up, messing with my mom was always something that we did. And by messing with her, I mean what some of you would call making fun of her. Okay? My mom grew up in a, or my, my mom raised us in a family of three boys, and my dad is a jokester and prankster as well. Some of you have met him, and you know this. So the way that our family get-togethers work is that we all, we all mess with each other, but the one that we love to mess with the most is our mom. Now, for me, that was clearly understood as I love my mom the most. Right? You've heard people say that before. You only mess with people who you love. Right? And we would do that with my mom. Um, it, it was as simple as things like, you know, uh, walking up behind her in the kitchen and jabbing her in the sides, you know, and it would tickle her and she'd be like, ah, you're distracting me. Or, you know, even as complex as these uh, big, um, complicated ruses we would do like around the holidays just to get my mom to have a laugh. Or when she found out, you know, she was giggling so much um, she'd say, stop it or I'm going to, you know, what happens when you laugh too hard. Uh, we would say, 
we would just keep going and keep going and more jokes and more jokes. We always messed with her. And in my family, that's how we talked. And then I started or created a new family. I got married. And in that family, things were done differently. But as marriage goes, I didn't pick up on that right away. And that can cause some problems, right? So not too long ago, that's right, I've been married 11 years and just now learning this. Not too long ago, there was some joking going on, and my mother-in-law, who also some of you know, was the butt of the jokes. And it kept going, and it kept going, and it kept going, until something happened. It went too far, and it hurt her feelings, and it made her cry, because that's not how her family spoke. You see, when you enter a new family, you have to have a recentering of your perspective. And what Jesus is trying to help us see is that in the family of God, there is a recentering that needs to happen in the way that we speak to one another. Similar to that, what I am learning right now, what I have to learn about this new family that I have, is that there's a different way to talk. Talking like that is still okay in my family. But in this family, it's not okay. And, and I have to teach my boys and now my girl that that's not how we're going to speak about our mom. They can joke with their grandma all day because she loves it. She really does. But that's not how every family works. What Jesus wants, wants us to see is that in his family, people are passionate about the truth. So much so that we're not even going to deceive people about telling them what time we're going to be there much less till death do us part. So let's see um, three different things real quick, uh, some, some things about what happens when we lie. Uh, verses 34 through 37 all um, show us that lying is about hiding the truth. We lie to hide the truth. It's really the only reason to lie. Sometimes we're hiding the truth from ourselves, so lies we tend to believe about our personal appearance. Maybe you've never even thought about this. You said, you know what? I'm a liar sometimes, and maybe the person that I offend the most with my lies is myself. Lying to yourself about how God has created you to be is a lie. The victim is you, so it might not be so apparent to you, but when you look in the mirror and you say, I don't like this, I don't like this, this needs to be better, I want this to get better, uh, this isn't right, this isn't good enough, this better change before someone's going to accept me, those are lies that you're preaching to yourself. And guess what? That lie assassinates the truth. It's, it's still a lie, even though there's not a victim outside of you. Lies we tend to believe about our personal appearance when we hide the truth of God from us, from ourselves. Um, sometimes we lie about our position with God. We view ourselves as the enemy of God after we sin. You ever done that one? You sin, you commit a sin, and before you confess it, you go, oh, I am God's enemy right now. I better come to confess with him before I get squashed, before he gets so angry with me, I don't even know what the consequences would be because I've sinned against him. So we lie about our perspective with God because what does scripture say about you who are in Christ Jesus. 
even when you are caught up in sin. There, there, there is therefore now, we said this last, last week too, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not in a position of condemnation when you are found in Christ Jesus. You are right to understand that you have sinned. You are wrong or lying to take on that understanding of your sin and turn it into something about your identity and say, I am a sinner. No, no, no. What you need to say is, I am confessing of this sin and I am a child of God. I am walking back into the arms of my Father in heaven who will forgive me and welcome me back and give me no shame at all. There is no shame. So we lie to hide the truth from ourselves. Um, A lot of times, these lies, if you're wondering where they come from, are told to us by the enemy. The enemy tells you lies. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, what lies are you believing that the enemy is telling you? Remember, a lot of this is about digging deep. We talked about the cistern last week, how when you dig deep into something that's contaminated, even though it looks nice on top, it's bad in the, in the inside. When you dig deep into these lies, a lot, oftentimes you'll find that there's the enemy there who's tantalizing you over with lies, mistruths or half-truths. Other times, though, we're not lying, lying to hide the truth from ourselves. We're lying to hide the truth from others. This is the one you're most familiar with, the lying to hide the truth from others. It's the most clear-cut version of lying. We're either uneasy about how people would respond if we knew that they knew the truth, or we sometimes are actively deceiving them to try to get something that we want, right? The farthest example of this would be lying in order to get revenge or to give someone what you believe they deserve, right? So there's all these different levels of lying, but um, we could do it like this, lying about, our ta- lying about our income on our taxes. It's a common, everyday lie. It's easy. You just do it and then face the consequences or maybe you get away with it, right? What about lying to our coworkers about why we're missing work? <clears throat> I said lying to your coworkers about why you're missing work. I'm saying when I was studying this sermon, the more I got, the more I go, oh, we do lie. We do lie, don't we? Um, little white lies, quote, unquote, about the train causing us to be late or our alarm not going off. We all have phones that we use as alarms. We know that's a lie. (laughs) Might as well just say, I snoozed my alarm. I apologize. Oh, doesn't that sound so truthful? What would happen if you were the type of person who instead of continuing the regular everyday mundane lies, you recognize that they are deceptive and that they compromise your integrity as a follower of Jesus. And you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be like Jim Carrey in the movie Liar, Liar, and I'm just going to tell the truth to everyone. Now, he gets himself in trouble because a lot of times he tells the truth in not the most gentle way. But it really is how God wants us to live. It is. He wants us to tell the truth in every way. You can tell the truth without being a jerk, though, which is part of the thing that he struggles with in that movie. Um, Sidestepping the truth or using manipulative language perverts our integrity, and it disobeys Jesus' direct calling here to a higher level of integrity, one where our yes really is yes. So we lie to hide the truth, but we also lie to people that we want to control. This is the one that caught me the most off guard. 
I never thought of lying as much of a controlling thing, unless you're talking about the type of lying where um, you are lying to someone to get something. But, but listen how all of it is like that. Um, who, do you, who would you lie to first? Remember all those example lies, and that's not necessarily big things. Who would you lie to first? Your child or your boss? Say it out loud if you want. Some of you said boss. Children? Remember, I'm not, I'm not saying you're lying to them uh, about something groundbreaking, but you're lying. Who would you rather lie to? Mo- most of us would think child, right? Why? Because a child is easier to manipulate than a boss. Now, maybe you're just thinking, I'm just going to text my boss, and then I don't have to worry about it. But that might not be good for your longevity at the, in this career. But we, we lie to people that we want to control, and the people we, we lie to more often are the ones who we think we can control more easily. Like a child... Or if we think we've gotten to know our spouse so well that we know what they're thinking, we can lie to them because we know they're not going to check into this or to that. Listen to this. Genesis chapter 3. You can turn there if you'd like. We're going to spend a couple seconds there. Genesis chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. This is actually the first lie ever told. What a better place to start off than the first lie ever told, right? Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent... He was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Crafty is a fancy way to say he was a liar. See? (laughs) See how we do it? Well, I was crafty. No, you were a liar. But he was crafty. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Pause. Did God say that? No, he did not. You know the truth. Good job. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of these trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She knew the truth. Eve knew the truth. Satan came at her with a lie and she corrected him. So where did she go wrong? Let's keep reading. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of this tree, eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Who lies here, Eve or the enemy, Satan? Who's the liar? Satan. Eve says the truth. Nope, God did not say that. He told us we can eat of any of these trees. We just can't eat the one in the middle of the garden. And if we do, we will die. And, and Satan's next words were, in essence, God is a liar. That's what Satan said to her. You will not surely die. Directly opposing the truth of God. Which may have been just audacious enough to make Eve turn away and say, you fool, get away from me. But what did he follow up his lie with? He said, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and then here it comes, and you will be like God. Ooh. If only Eve had known that she was like God, right? God made her in, her, in his image. 
She was more like God than she knew. And she was tempted to try to grasp something she had how much control over? Zero. More like God, knowing good and evil. We can learn a lot about how to love others by studying the person of Jesus. And conversely, we can learn a lot about lying and deception from studying the ways of the enemy. I want to invite you for about three minutes here to study the enemy. Study Satan. What does he do? Don't un underestimate your enemy, right? Sports teams know this. Later on today, there's a great clash of a titan and a wannabe titan. <laughs> the New England Patriots, the titan of the NFL, are facing my favorite team, the wannabe titans, the Dallas Cowboys. And in this matchup, both of these teams have come in and they spent literally hours upon hours this week watching game film of their enemy. Why? Why do they do that? Say it out loud. To study the enemy's movements and tactics. Beautifully said. Sports teams do this because they want to know the way the enemy is going to attack them. Um, did you know that cybersecurity experts spend hours studying who? Hackers. Why? Because if you don't know the enemy's tactics, you can't block them out. In fact, a lot of cybersecurity experts are hackers <laughs> or were hackers, right? <laughs> but, but who better to, to, to protect you than someone who used to be a hacker or who is hacking something but this is not your stuff? Um, insurgent armies run intelligence and counterintelligence ops. Why do they do this? It's all aimed at understanding the enemy. So Satan begins by asking a question aimed at introducing doubt. He asks the question knowing that he's going to introduce some doubt into Eve's mind. And he continues by flat out calling God a liar. Finally, he ends this by promising something he cannot deliver. He cannot deliver what he has promised. When you, uh, sorry, I want to ask you to think about when you have taken on the role of manipulator in this way. You might say, I'm not a liar, but when have you asked a question in order to try to introduce doubt into someone else's mind? You wouldn't say he was a liar at first, right? But you know that his question was aimed at trying to control Eve. And in that, it was deceptive. He was not telling the truth. Using these, uh, when have you ever used these tactics in order to try to control someone? We need to look no farther than the Beatitudes to learn that God has a different way of us controlling others, right? He, who inherits the earth? Who ultimately gets to have the earth as their footstool along with God? The powerful manipulators, the hackers, the enemies, the deceptive people? No. Who? The meek. That's right. The meek. The ones who look out for others' goods instead of their own. It's the, it's the, it's the flip. It's the opposite of controlling others. When you're looking out for others, good. You're not trying to control them. You actually want them, in a way, to be able to know that they have safety and security with you. It's like inviting them to come into your realm of self-control, and you want them to see that they can control themselves as well. That's what Meek does. All right. When we lie, we also compromise our relationships. You all know this one well, so we'll fly through it. Uh, people who lie cannot be trusted right? They can't be trusted 
And trust is the basis of relational life. Imagine being the boss of an employee who doesn't show up to work on time. Because the employee's word can't be trusted, the boss cannot rely on them to do the work. Without that trust, they can no longer employ that person. It's simple. In romantic relationships, the same is true. When our words cannot be relied upon, life gets chaotic. You see, in Christianity, everything is important. Everything we say is important because of who we are. You are a follower of Jesus, and the things that you say are important, even the things as small as the words that we use. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we recognize the great seriousness of these matters. We know that when we lie, we are compromising our relationships. Um, so here's some things Here's some um, things that happen to God's people when they cannot be trusted. They lose people's trust. Their relationships are damaged. God's word is perverted. See how it was perverted there with the enemy, right? No, God is a liar. That's what Satan said. When we are liars, we are calling that same type of condemnation on the word of God. The salt loses its saltiness. Remember that from maybe four or five weeks ago? Remember how the salt could get washed over and the salt would actually be less salty? That's what happens when God's people are not truth tellers. And the light is hidden. That city set on a hill is hidden. Uh, most of our breaking of our word is due to, though, why, why people don't say I'm a liar. It's because most of our breaking of our word is due to folly or not being um, self-controlled enough. It's not malice. That's why it's tough for us to raise our hand when you say I'm a liar because you think of lies only the ones that you tell on purpose, not the ones that you might tell on accident. But see, what I want, us to, I want us to become, including me, is people who are so well thought out in what we say that we won't say things that we assume or think might be compromised by things we can't control. For instance, if it's a Sunday morning and you're saying I'll be at brunch at 10 a.m. with someone, which you wouldn't say that because it would be 1 p.m. after church. But if you were going to say that, you would look at your calendar before you promised to be there and you would see that you have a late night Saturday night and you would say to that person, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be out late and I tend to oversleep. So why don't we go ahead and make it 11? That's a way that you can be honest ahead of time. You're like proactively keeping yourself from lying. Does that make sense? So it's about, it's about being thoughtful with our words. Um... It's like this. Have you ever heard of the phrase, death by a thousand paper cuts? You heard of that before? It's like this, right? If, if, if I'm standing here and you wanted to kill me, I hope you'll listen to Danny's sermon first, because but the, way you would do, the way you could do it is you can make me lose blood, right? I don't want to get too graphic, but one way that you can lose blood is by paper cuts. So what if you cut me a thousand times around my arteries with just a piece of paper? Theoretically, I could lose enough blood to die, right? A thousand times, though, you'd have to cut me with paper. What if you had a sword, though? Couldn't you just swack me once with a sword and be done with it? You see, oftentimes we don't see ourselves as liars because the lies we're telling are not assassinating the truth with a sword. We're not destroying people's lives over here. We're just taking a paper cut and assassinating the truth one paper cut at a time. All the while, is the, is the truth being compromised? Am I bleeding out? 
Yes, but it's happening so slowly and maybe even painlessly that I don't notice and you don't notice. And so we get lulled into sleep thinking, it's all right. We don't assassinate the truth with a sword. No, we just, just paper cuts here and there. So finally, we need to stop lying and we stop lying by being clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Jesus is calling us to be lovers of the truth. And ultimately, that means lovers of Jesus. Because he says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you want to love the truth, love Jesus. He is the truth. He's not the way to truth. He's not a truth. He is the truth. When you love him, you are a lover of the truth. Those words that you say matter and you will be more caring because he is clothing you in his righteousness. We have to understand that our promises are only as good as those things we can control. That's what Jesus is wanting us to see. We recognize God's authority over our lives and everything around us, heaven, New York City or Jerusalem, our bodies, our hair, black and white hair, all of that. We recognize, God, you have control over that. I can't swear on those things. You control those things. And we simplify our speech so as to submit to the Father's will for our lives. You ever been around a manipulator, a liar? I mean like a really, really good one that gets you. They really get after you and then you don't even, a real good liar, you don't know they were lying until it's too late. That's a good liar. A bad liar is someone who you're like, I know you're lying right now. But the ones who who are really good and, and you don't know it until it's too late, they use a lot of complicated words, right? And a lot of sentences. Why? Because it takes a lot of distraction to keep you from the truth. One of the ways that we can be clothed in Jesus' righteousness is just simplifying our speech. Becoming people who speak simply the truth. Honesty clothed with love. Not rude, not arrogant, just love. And finally, this last part about, about all of this, the thing that takes all of this and makes it into an evangelistic endeavor, this is actually something that we use to share our, our faith with others, is that when we are truth tellers, we are taking the truth with us where we go to our unbelieving friends, to our unbelieving neighbors, our, our family, and even, yes, to our unbelieving enemies. Danny talked about it this morning in the serve team huddle, and he was saying that we need to go and be a witness to what Jesus has done in our life. That's what happens when we are truth tellers. We are being a witness to the truth to the people around us. And yes, the converse is true as well. When we are deceptive people, when we are liars, when what we say cannot be counted on, we are being an evangelist for the enemy. We are spreading lies. Where we go, lies follow. But church, that's not who you are in Christ Jesus. You are a truth teller. And where you go, Jesus goes. Because when you came to him as a liar and confessed to him, he said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive you of your sins first so that you can come into my presence. And then what I'm going to do is to make you right with me. I'm going to put on the clothes of righteousness over you. And from now on, when you go out, you will speak with honesty because you are a truth teller. You will walk in my ways because you are a truth 
teller. So the next steps that I have for you today is very simple. The question is this. How is God calling you to be a truth teller? Maybe some of those examples of, you know, maybe how we can lie to kids or how we can lie to our spouses, they kind of stung a little bit. That probably means it's because you need to confess those to Jesus. He won't receive you with condemnation. He'll give you forgiveness, but you need to confess them. Maybe some of the more serious lies are the ones that really got you, right? We're talking about lies about infidelity, lies on your taxes, lies about the greediness that you have, lies that you're telling or believing in yourself that's causing you to deride the image of God in you. You're pushing down the image of God in you because you can't imagine that he would love you or that someone else could love you about your physical appearance or about your personality or whatever it is. What are the lies you're believing that you need Jesus to speak truth into today? I want to invite you, if that's you, to write some of those down. It's a good therapeutic way to recognize what's happening in your mind and your soul is to write them down. Write that confession out on those notes that you have in your seat. And then thank God that he has forgiven them and write that out as well. Thank you, Jesus, that these are not the lies that tell who I really am. That's one way you can respond. The next one is this. I want you to ask yourself, who is God calling you to share the truth of the gospel with this week? Summer said next week is officially bring a friend Sunday. And when she said that, I thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say that every week. (laughs) Next week is officially bring your friend Sunday. Then so is next week. But here's the point. Here's the reason. It's because you are called to be a truth teller and there are people in your life who are believing lies and want you. They need you and they don't even know it to come and speak the truth to them or to just be with them as they receive the truth. Invite them with you to come. Who is God? Actually, seriously, I want us each to write down a name. Who is God calling you to share the truth of the gospel with this week? It could be as simple as inviting them over for Thanksgiving dinner or as complicated as trying to get them to come to church with you or speaking the truth into their life. Who is God calling you to share the truth of the gospel with this week? And finally, If you're like Eve and you believe in the lies that the enemy has for you, I want to invite you to confess before Jesus and to trust him, to give your life to Jesus. We're going to have our prayer team at the back. And if there's something that you would like to pray with someone at the prayer team about, please come and let us know. But ultimately, what we are hoping for you is that you would step into a relationship with Jesus so that you will be clothed in righteousness and that truth-telling will be your banner that you go forth with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that even though we were dead in our trespasses, you died for us so that we could find life in the person of Jesus Christ. We trust you for that life and we ask that you would give us the passion to have a recentering in the way that we speak so that we would be honest people. Not because we try hard enough or because we are good enough or because we are honest people, but because we are clothed in your righteousness and you have made us ambassadors of the truth, your truth. In Jesus' name we pray.